Welcome to Creative Adversity, the podcast where we explore how entrepreneurial challenges form leaders and create business opportunities. I'm Sarah Malter, founder of Capitalize and Capitalize Technology, where we help innovative companies unlock funding. Over the last decade, I've been in the privileged position to witness the ups and downs of thousands of businesses and have been struck by the role adversity plays in creating standout leaders and life-changing business opportunities. I'm on a mission to transform the way leaders and entrepreneurs view perceived failures and instead get them to understand their true potential, that adversity can be the birthplace of innovation and creativity. Six months ago, few people outside the Ukraine knew or spoke of Vladimir Zelensky. Through the adversity of war, he has become a household name, a symbol of strength, and he has both demonstrated and inspired unprecedented creativity towards the fight for his country. It's only through immense pressure that diamonds are formed. In this podcast, we will hear stories from incredible leaders and entrepreneurs, learn how they overcame their challenges, and how to reframe adversity into opportunity. Welcome to Creative Adversity. I caught up with Lucy Cohen, a CEO and founder whose successes have been shaped by setbacks. Lucy's book, Forget the First Million, is a guide to make your life more fulfilling while your business thrives. So, armed with a copy, I asked her about the book and more. Thank you so much. I've got a copy of this. Um, ah! <laughs> Which is really great. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey for this book. Why now within your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so I think this is really to do with when people say or when you say like, I'll be happy when or if I could only just or all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to business, it tends to be very focused around money. It's always like, oh, when I make a million, I'll or if I could only afford this. And you assume that that end goal is going to be the thing that brings you the happiness or thing that brings you the satisfaction. And actually, it's not. It's having a life that's sustainable, that fits in with your moral values, that gives you satisfaction in what you do. You're having an element of wealth has always been part of it. I grew up without any money. So, you know, it's always been to be able to have an element of wealth, but more around being self-sufficient and you know, not having to worry about certain things. It's about that. And it's about mental health and that journey. And personal discovery and understanding that you're more than your business and more than your hobbies and you're more than your relationships. And when you go into business, you tend to take the whole you with you. Obviously, it comes from you and your experience as an entrepreneur. Did you set out to be an entrepreneur? No, I'm just very, I'm very sassy and um, (laughs) (laughs) quite contrary. I valued my ability to um, earn I'd gone from progressing quite quickly and being faced with the idea of going back to my old job after I'd been on a secondment to put in a software package. I'd learned so much and I'd grown so much and obviously I'd earned a bit more money. I just didn't want to step backwards and it felt like such a step backwards to go from being quite senior to back to being kind of really an entry-level role. I was like, well, how can an organization let me do that? So I sort of came to the conclusion that I wanted to row my own boat. I yeah. built a subscription business because I wanted to know how much money I was coming in every month. I didn't want uncertainty financially. Uh, I also wanted to know what my workload was every month. So I knew how to plan it. Yeah. And I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur per se, but it turns out that that is actually what I am. Oh, wow. So do you think of it then as more of a state of being as opposed to a job? 
yeah, it's not a job. Your job is not being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is an element of you who are like, it's like being an optimist or a, it sits within you. It's part of your kind of DNA. Now you can learn entrepreneurial skills. You yes. can learn to think more entrepreneurially. But if you are a, an entrepreneur, I think it's just something within you that is got this little drive and this little kind of slightly naughty side to you that wants to see <laughs> where you can push buttons and do different things. And that's, that's what I am. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And within the book, you talk a lot about, you know, getting the work-life balance right and creating sort of happiness and time for yourself. Mm-hmm. So how do you achieve this on a daily basis? How is it for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll be entirely honest. I don't always get it right. No one does because yes. we're always learning. I've been very honest previously about my mental health. I'm a depression sufferer and I'm an anxiety sufferer. So I have to look after my health. I have to put my own oxygen mask on first before I go around helping other people's. Otherwise, I'm going to burn out and I'm no use to anybody. Then I can't show up to my friendships, to my romantic relationship with my husband. I can't show up to my family. I can't show up to my employees and my peers because I'm, I'm burned out. So I've had to learn my boundaries and I've had to learn to set them and be strict with them. And you know what? The thing I've learned most is no one cares if you say no. There's a part of you that thinks you have to take every opportunity, especially when you're a startup business and you're kind of like, oh, God, you know, how am I going to make rent or how am I going to do this? You kind of feel like you have to do everything. Actually, you don't. You can pick what you do and it will be just as effective as doing everything, as doing half the things. It will be just as good for you. You know, I've had depression and I've been burned out and not a nice person to be around and, and not recognizing myself. And I lose when I'm really burned out or when I don't get it right. I sort of lose the ability to find joy in things. I lose mm. the ability to look forward to stuff. And when I notice myself feeling like that, I'm like, right, Lucy, this is the warning sign now. This is the red flag. You need to do something about this. So yeah, it's it's kind of about um, building that space into your business model because business founders or entrepreneurs or startups, they never put themselves on the priority list. You are the only person between you and bankruptcy. You've got to sort it out. You've got to be well. You know, there was a great phrase I heard over the pandemic, which is you don't make time for your wellness. You'll be forced to make time for your illness. And that's so true. So you mentioned boundaries and there's a chapter on boundaries as well in the book, which is great. For those who aren't used to setting boundaries, how did you get comfortable doing that? Um, you have to get comfortable being really uncomfortable. You just have to rip the band-aid off. There is no way to like ease yourself into the cold water because there's no compromise. You either say yes to something or you say no to something. You can't half show up to something or, or send half your body to, <laughs> to attend an event. You're either there or you're not. You have to make the decision and go, no, I've, I've decided not to do this. And the way I do it is I use my diary and I block things out of my diary. So if I have days where I've blocked it out, it's the easiest thing to do when if in your head you're kind of, oh, maybe I'll keep Friday afternoon free. Block it out. It's a non-negotiable. And then if someone says to you, oh, you haven't got any space in your diary there. I'm like, well, no, yeah, no, I don't have any space in my diary there. I had um, I use Calendly and I block out times. I don't want meetings. I quite often get pushback and people go, well, it says you haven't got any space in your calendar for three weeks. I'm like, well, then that, that's true. Now, me five years ago might have gone, oh, okay, I'll maybe squeeze it in and I'll have got rid of that time that I blocked myself. And now I don't. Absolutely. How have you, you mentioned the red flags. Are there practical things that you do as an entrepreneur to look after your mental health when it's, you see it sliding down that slope? Yeah. So you don't have to do all the things in one go. So it's really easy to go, oh, no, oh, I realize I'm not feeling great. Right, I'm going to eat healthily. I'm going to drink more water. I'm going to go to bed on time. I'm going to go to the gym in the morning. 
And then you're just setting yourself up to fail because you'll never do all those things in one go because you're already busy and you've now just given yourself this mental load list of other things you have to do on top of the fact that you're busy and you already feel a little bit crappy about yourself. So what you do is you go, right, this week, I'm going to drink four glasses of water a day. That's all you do. You just you just put that in and you don't add in anything else until you're consistently doing that without thinking about it. And you go, right, this week, I'm going to go for two walks. And then you do that. Your mental health recovering isn't a two-day thing. It's not like cutting a finger. It's like having a broken leg. You know, this is a long-term thing. By the time you get to doing all the stuff, eating healthy, drinking more water, going to the gym, all the rest of it, you're four months in and you're suddenly feeling an awful lot better and you won't be able to recognize the person you were kind of four months ago. It's why all these January diets and detoxes, they all fail because everyone goes at it hard for three weeks and then they give up and they're back ankle deep in Quality Street again. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, it's nice to hear as well, mental health being talked about like a broken leg because I think so many people don't feel comfortable talking about it, but Mm -hmm. it is very much like any other physical issue. Oh, yeah. Well, your brain physically exists. Yeah. You know, it's physically there. So of course it can go skewer sometimes like anything else on your body. I firmly believe that a lot of our successes are built on learning from things that have gone wrong in business. So that essentially failure is a necessary part of success. Do you have any standout lessons from your entrepreneurial journey, which you can say without that, I wouldn't be where I am today? Oh my God. So many. So many. I fail all the time. I'm always screwing up. Oh, where do I even start? So I think one of the big ones I've spoken about before, but it was huge, was the lesson I learned was about not trusting myself and not believing that I was the, um, it must have been some sort of imposter syndrome, but it was around the time that Dragon's Den in the UK was like this huge thing. And it completely um, escaped my mind that I had grown the business the size it was in, in three or four years. And somehow it got into my head that I wasn't the right person to do sales and that we needed a a sales director in. We couldn't afford a sales director. Anyway, we met this guy. He sort of convinced us that he was the right person. He he was going to take like an NED salary. And he said all the things we wanted to hear, like this could be way bigger than you are now. Never mind the pains of growing and how hard that is. Oh, just get a much bigger office. You're going to fill this in no time. And I was like, I don't know, 26. I was like, great. Yeah, this sounds brilliant. It felt like a grown up was in charge. I was like, amazing. Someone else could do this. We took on this huge lease. We took on a big loan, bought this equipment, bought these desks. We had about three staff. And on the day that we moved into our new offices, I tried to ring him to go, like, right, we're in. Let's get planning. And he just ghosted us. Oh my gosh. Yep. Just disappeared. And I remember me and Sophie sat on the floor of our, of our boardroom. We didn't need a boardroom. <laughs> what are we doing? We still don't need a boardroom. Um, of our boardroom with this table, which could seat 16 people with all the matching chairs and thinking like, what have we done? And it was really in that moment we were like, we only have two options here and it's do it or don't. Those are our only two choices. So we just went right back to pounding the shoe leather, getting back out of our networking events, all that stuff. And then a couple of years later, he reappeared and tried to sue me for <laughs> monies non-paid and something like £15,000. I was very impolite. I've never heard of him since. <laughs> yeah, wow. but that was definitely a defining moment. And it was a real moment in not allowing imposter syndrome to creep in. Sometimes you do know best. It's really easy to allow other experts out there to go, well, you know, I think there's this best thing for your business and to, and to blindly follow it mm. without going, actually, no. 
I'm not on board with that. And I don't think this is the way for us to go. So yeah, it was a massive lesson in kind of trusting your gut a little bit, I think. Wow. And with that, with trusting your gut, have you had the opposite happen where you've trusted your gut and you've been like, yes, that was the exact right thing to do. I'm really glad I listened. Oh yeah. Starting the business, the first business advisor we ever saw told us it would never work. Yeah. It was like, this is a terrible idea. You can't (laughs) have a subscription service for accountancy. You can't rebrand it. It can't be quirky. Accountancy is how it is for a reason. This is a terrible business idea. Wow. Years and years later, I was speaking at an event and he came up to me afterwards and I was like, this is the moment. This is the redemption. This is when he's going to be like, I'm so sorry I got it wrong. I can't believe it. Oh my God. And he was like, hi, Lucy, nice to meet you. Really enjoyed your talk. And I was like, (gasps) he didn't even remember me. He'd not even remembered. And that was another lesson in the things people say to you. So things we hold on to into our heads are quite often a throwaway comment by somebody else and they will never think about it again. Yeah. And so you just can't hold on to that shit. Sorry, you just can't hold on. You just can't <laughs> hold on to it. You can't. You let it go because then they don't care. They don't remember it. But yeah, okay. I thought that was going to be like my my cinematic moment, and um, yeah, no, it wasn't. It was, it was a massive anticlimax. <laughs> <laughs> um, all businesses have been affected during COVID. How have you guys been affected? Well, I mean, the obvious things, relocated everybody to home. There's been that mental health has been a big thing in terms of trying to help our staff through it whilst giving the tools to remain productive. And because of what we do, we're accountants, supporting clients. We sort of become unofficial counsellors and therapists to clients and hearing those bad news stories and kind of carrying the burden with them. It's definitely affected us and it's changed some things for us. It's changed how we approach maybe recruitment, how we talk about our messaging and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's definitely impacted. It meant that we accelerated some plans um, in terms of tech development and we put other plans on hold. You just have to roll with the punches, but I suppose that's the thing about being an entrepreneur is nothing really surprises you. I make plans and I never expect them to go as you think because you know, if we have two months that do exactly what I think they're going to do, I'm surprised. And I'm also a little bit like, okay, well, this is weird. It has been a real challenge. It's been a really tough couple of years. Yeah, we've seen it with lots of businesses ourselves. And and some have taken the time to take a bit of a step back and Mm. go, can we reevaluate our goals as a business? Mm. On one hand, of course, it's been very challenging. And on another, sometimes it's actually been quite a useful period to be able to go, okay, how can I use this time effectively? Yeah. So there's a lot of advice in the book that's fantastic. But if you could give only one piece of advice to the 23-year-old self that's just starting out, what would it be? <laughs> oh, what would I tell myself 23 years ago? Stop highlighting your hair. That's a bad idea. <laughs> no, I'd say um, trust your gut, believe in yourself, because you know it's a good idea. You have to try. If you genuinely believe in something, you have to try it. You have to test it. You have to see. Otherwise, you're always left with that little what if I'd done thing if you do it and you screw it up and then someone else comes in and smashes it you're like well all right they did it better than I did so be it but if you never tried it and someone else comes in and smashes it like I had that idea and I thought that I wish I'd done it you'll never forgive yourself you can forgive yourself for failing you can't forgive yourself for not trying yeah I love that if you had another couple of takeaways that you wanted to add for people at the end of the book when they're done with this I want you to know this Life is insanely short, way too short to care what anyone thinks about you. What a waste of energy. Stop it. Stop with the ego. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Everyone's got certain things that they sort of covet, I suppose. So things that 
you say, I'll know I've made it when I can afford that watch or that car or whatever else. But you'll actually find that when you get those things, that joy is very fleeting. And unless you keep yourself in check, you're always going to start moving to that next thing. And you end up doing this kind of cyclical keeping up with the Joneses type thing. That's why you can't find your joy in money or material possessions. You can find your joy and purpose in maybe the freedom and opportunity and kind of adventures that perhaps earning more money than you used to can bring. But the Mm. money itself isn't going to make you happy, not truly. It won't give you a purpose. So this is about find your purpose rather than finding your million. I love that. Finally, what's something that people might not know about you that would surprise them? Oh my gosh. I'm always really good at that game. I don't even have played it. Two truths and a lie. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I've, got, I've, I've led a very interesting life. I used to compete for um, Britain as a powerlifter. Yes. Um, when I was 16, I was a backing dancer for pop band Boyzone. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a good one. Um, oh, I've got the attention span of a gnat when it comes to hobbies. <laughs> oh, useless. If I can't do something immediately and be brilliant at it, I just give it up. And I also kind of have this, I kind of walk through life believing I'm going to be good at everything. And I'm genuinely surprised when I'm not. So like, if I couldn't ride a unicycle immediately, I'd be like, well, this is clearly broken. <laughs> wrong with this? Definitely not me. So yes, there's very unearned confidence in myself, I suppose, but it gets you through rough spots, the kind of belief that I can talk myself out of anything. Yeah. Well, I think I would say that it's actually very earned confidence. You've done amazing things so it, it, well it probably wasn't earned when I hadn't done them so when I was right. like 22 it probably hadn't been earned <laughs> at all <laughs> maybe now I've kind of caught up with myself that's one of my phrases actually one of my little um, mantras I kind of say to myself is to tell the truth in advance and it's a little bit like fake it till you make it but not quite if your sales aren't going well that month and someone's like well how's it going You're like brilliant amazing because then there's a little thing in you that's like I've got to live up to that or if you're feeling a bit crap and someone's like, how are you feeling? You've got a cold or something. You're like, I'm brilliant. I feel fantastic. And I just think that sometimes that little positive like gets you over that hurdle and gets you to that next stage a little bit quicker. Before doing this, I used to do musical theatre and we used to call it doctor theatre. The worst, most horrific cold where you like couldn't move and then you'd get on stage and it was like magic would happen. Yeah, it's like a performance of that kind of performance yes. mindset. Because you have to do it and you have to be there and you have to be present and physical, somehow it just it just happens, yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for having this brilliant interview. I love your welcome. energy. It's amazing <laughs> and infectious. <laughs> so we will speak to you soon. You're so welcome. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. Lucy's book, Forget the First Million, is available now on Amazon. Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If so, please subscribe below for more inspirational stories and lessons in creative adversity. Remember, the difference between setback and opportunity is only a matter of perception.